Do you like all things spooky? How about chilling stories that have you reaching for the covers? In this podcast, we're going under the covers to delve into all things from chilling haunts to your worst nightmares. I'm Morgan. And I'm Emily. And this is why we don't Don't sleep sleep alone. alone. (laughs) (laughs) He's done. We are clear for takeoff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, are we really? We are clear for takeoff. You hit the record button? Yeah. Oh, welcome back. Happy New Year. No, I hate that. I hate all of it. Welcome back, guys. Happy New Year. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing as well as I could be doing. Emily and I, over the course of the past six hours, have earned a tech degree. And I just want everyone to know that uh, we will be accepting congratulations. (laughs) And letters of endearment to our uh, email. And anywhere in our social media. uh, Do not sleep alone. Do not. Do not sleep sleep alone. alone. Official at Gmail or do not sleep alone on Instagram. TikTok. Twitter. Acast. All those places. So we yes, for everyone who doesn't know, we did switch over from Podbean to Acast, and that is just to make Patreon and everything else easier for you guys. Whatever we can do to help. So we will be uh, accepting letters of congratulations for our tech degrees mm-hmm. because we just spent three hours trying to figure out a single program to then ask a second opinion on the audio and then tell us that the second program was terrible (laughs) and to go back to our first program. So, which only hurt my feelings a a lot, lot. (laughs) but I'm glad we did ask for some outside help because I think our brains were just fried. Yeah. Like they were just hitting against the wall and and we weren't going to get anywhere if we just kept staring at each other and listening to audio and I just don't understand why my $2,000 computer has Kaput. basically a friggin' jet engine in it when, <laughs> it when it hits 30 minutes of doing any sort of work. But whatever. To each their own. My feelings were hurt a lot, and that's fine. And um, we're over it now. It's fine. We're uh, over it. This is going to be our first two-parter episode. Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, so this character, this person that we're going to be discussing, we actually kind of just stumbled upon. <laughs> yes. We ended up as a as a podcast getting a Christmas gift from my beautiful, beautiful mother and my beautiful, beautiful father. And they ended up getting us a book called the book of serial killers the big book of the serial big killers. book of serial killers and that's exactly what it is it's phenomenal yeah it has tons of detail in it and and a lot of really really great resources so it's been really fun to be able to peruse that instead of just relying on the interwebs and i don't think we would have ever bought this on our own emily said that earlier she's like i don't think we would have ever bought ourselves a serial killer book but we've now realized that holy guacamole it's kind of nice to have and it's like it's literally an encyclopedia it has tons of details really cool facts about some of the cases and some of these serial killers has 
not very well-known serial killers in it, which is nice. It's very refreshing. Yeah. Just because we're trying to give you guys new content. We don't need to be covering the same serial killers, right? Right. And so, again, that's the uh, big book of serial killers by Jack Rosewood. And the co-author is Rebecca Lowe. So if you want to get it and read along with us. 10 out of 10. Super good. It's amazing. Super good. So today we're going to start out with William Bonin. And again, this is going to be a two-parter episode just because there is a lot of detail that that really goes into this case. And we want to make sure that we do it justice for that very reason. So let's go ahead and get started. So William George Bonin was born in Wilmanac. Wilmanac. Willimantic. Willimantic, Connecticut. On January 8th, 1947, and had two other brothers, one older and one younger. So he was the middle kid. His parents, Robert and Alice Bonin, were both alcoholics, and he was kind of just born into a not good situation. His father, being an impulsive gambler and physically abusive to the family, including his mother being codependent, spending away at bingo parlors as often as possible. So she also kind of had a gambling thing, but it just wasn't as hardcore she as dad. She also was just trying to, like, get away as much mm-hmm. as possible because the dad was so abusive, not only to her and the kids, but it's like she doesn't want to watch him abusing her kids. Yeah. And she doesn't want to be abused. So as much time she can spend away from the house doing whatever whether it's bingo or gambling mm-hmm. or something so bonin and along with his brother spent most of their young child developmental years being given clean clothes and food by his neighbors and abused not only by his father but also his older brother which damn short end of the stick unfortunately while the parents would be away sometimes they would let the grandfather babysit the the three boys because obviously they weren't old enough to watch themselves and he was also a convicted child molester who was known to sexual abuse not only bonin's mother whenever she was a child but also the three boys um bonin and his two brothers it's just abuse yeah abuse abuse after abuse in all sorts of facets so not really a good look yeah the abuse continued to get worse and worse between the family and the father, the eld- like between the father, the eldest brother, and the grandfather, Bonin, switching back and forth from all three of those, that his mother finally just had enough. And she was like, I can't watch my child go through this anymore and tried her hardest to get boys out of that environment. So the best way she could do that, unfortunately, was send them to an orphanage. To just relinquish rights on them and give them up. Unfortunately, <laughs> I feel like we're going to say that a lot in this it's episode. Like, it's like one thing after another to where we're yeah. like, so this happened. And then unfortunately, then this happened. And then unfortunately, <laughs> this happened. But like, even reading this, the background on this guy in the book and the articles and the documentaries that we watched about him, it's like you can't help but feel a little bad for him. Like he literally did not have a fighting chance. No, throughout his childhood, you definitely feel bad for him. Mm -hmm. The second he hits adulthood, you're like, okay. Yeah. He also wasn't a good guy, but like, was it, was he just a product of his environment and childhood or that? I feel like that's always like a hot topic and a hot argument when it comes to serial killers and all that kind of stuff. But we'll get into that later. 
That reminds me of uh, what's the Santa Claus movie that's about the brother of Santa Claus? It's like Paul Claus or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking And the about. whole thing is that in the end, he gets like Santa Claus gets fired or something for some reason. And the brother gets like his third strikeout. Sorry, spoilers, by the way. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert <laughs> for this movie. The brother like refuses to write out the nice and the naughty list because he thinks the naughty list is basically bullshit because he's like, kids are only bad because of their environments, mm-hmm. not because they're inherently bad, which mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. it's an argument. It's an argument it's, to be had. It's a nice thought. Right. I think definitely a lot of times though, that is true. Some rare cases though, mm-hmm. it is not true. Yeah. I think the environment just doesn't help. No, no I think no. it serves as like a Petri dish to what could really fester and grow in a person, right? Whether they're going to become evil or not, you know? Yeah. So unfortunately, whenever Bonin and his brothers go to this orphanage or orphanage, orphanage, they were kind of known to be really cruel to the children and harsh with discipline, specifically discipline, which funding for these kind of like, orphanages and mental hospitals like it's just not good it's not there's not a whole bunch of funding so it's like they're understaffed they are underfunded they are overworked um and some of these kids like bonin coming in here are from some pretty rough families so there definitely needs to be some sort of discipline because obviously you don't want to just send the kid to some family with zero work being done but the punishments ranged from severe beatings enduring various positions that caused either pain or stress in the children so like they were just put in really uncomfortable like stances it would be things to where like you have to squat all the way down kind of like you know how kids will sit all the way down but they're still on their feet kind of Mm -hmm. but on the ball of your toes so that all of your weight is on Oof. a couple muscles. And that's kind of what they would do is they would force you to put all of your weight on just a couple different muscles. So those muscles are working incredibly hard while the rest of your body is just like shaking because it's yeah. so much pain and they're kids. So, and of course I'm sure they weren't very nice to them whenever they like fell over and whatnot. But like they also did things like partial drownings in sinks full of water, heads being completely dunked in toilets, being beaten until bloody, like to the point where it's too far, way too far and assaulted with knives, which just blew my mind reading that. Like that's that's a valid punishment <laughs> in an orphanage. You know, that's fine. Like you're going to just shank a kid because <laughs> because <laughs> why? I don't even have a good reason to shank a child. So obviously this caused a lot of trauma in Bonin and later I'm sure a lot of his issues and a lot of his violent tendency probably rooted from here and probably his father's abusive drunk gamblingness. And how do I word this? Because he's a child, guys. He's around eight, eight-ish, seven to like nine years old. Mm-hmm. During this He's time. an actual child. He would often accept cons- consensually at seven and eight years old sexual advances from the older males that would come along as long, this was his one condition, as they tied his hands behind his back, which I'm not kink shaming, 
but I will kink shame a seven-year-old. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even if you're nine. That just, it's very odd, but he was exposed to so much sex at such a young age. Where do you put that line? Where do you put that boundary? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because we are all human and sex is a natural and normal thing. But I think that he shouldn't have been introduced to it at such a young age. Right. And I feel like, again, this could be some deep-rooted stuff that follows him into adulthood. And as time grew on, his parents never came to visit him on top of that. So he ends up convincing himself that his parents are dead. Because that's better to think my parents are dead than my parents don't care enough to come visit me even though they know I'm here. Which is so sad. That is so sad. Like, imagine having to convince yourself that, obviously, they... Either way, because to me, in my head, I'd be like, no, my, my, my mom loves me. Like, my mom really does love me. So the only reason why she's not seeing me is because she's dead. And, like, she must be dead. And then having to go through all the grief of thinking that your parent is dead or both your parents are dead and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's so sad. I mean, he was even quoted saying, in my life, I never had nobody to help me. My father used to beat the shit out of me. My mother never stopped him. She put me in one of those boys' homes, and I got raped by these older guys. He's quoted saying that he was raped by these older guys, but then he'll also go back and say that sometimes it was consensual. What are you consenting to at that point? Mm -hmm. What do you actually know that you're consenting to? Because I think back to when I was seven and nine, I thought sex was just French kissing someone. Like, I don't think I would know what consent really meant. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, how can you really say that he was actually having consensual mm -hmm. sex at this point when he is seven to nine years old? And the only reason we know he's around that age is because around age nine, he actually gets picked up out of the orphanage and goes to live with his parents again. Which, weird... But okay. And then imagine all the stress you go through with that because you convince yourself that your parents are dead. Mm -hmm. And then they come and get you and you're living back with them again. Like toxic. <laughs> I think I would just be full on mental breakdowns all the time at this point. And then a year later, at only 10 years old, he was arrested for stealing vehicle license plates and sent to a juvenile detention center where he was again, continuously sexually abused by multiple people, one of whom was even his counselor that was there to control and monitor the other juvenile offenders. I have, yeah, I have so much rage in me. Don't even get me started because I can literally talk about that for about like six hours. It makes me so angry. Like this person was put in a place to watch over and control and yet they're doing they're controlling all right yeah and then a few years later bonin and his family moved to california due to a foreclosure on their home mm -hmm. and not too much longer his father ended up passing away from cirrhosis which i'm sure was hard but at the same time might have been a little bit of relief for him i was about to say yeah because now he doesn't have to deal with the abuse his mother doesn't have to deal with the abuse mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff but watching anyone Especially a parent. Yeah. Sick like that. It's hard. Exactly. So did he just block it out? No one knows. Did he just 
take it as a blessing. Who knows? He doesn't talk about it. And then at the same time, his interest and obsession with pedophilia started to grow. And he eventually started pursuing his interests on his younger brother and many neighborhood children. Mm -hmm. He's taught from his grandfather Mm -hmm. how to molest children. Mm -hmm. He's taught from his father and his older brother how to abuse. Mm -hmm. And now he has started to molest his younger brother. Mm -hmm. So it's just this domino effect of... Which sometimes we see this, though, and correct me if I'm wrong abusers i feel like we've talked about this in another episode too people who were abused often struggle with that it's the the fact of uh, not being in control correct that they really struggle with during you know therapy and just healing in general that sometimes the outlet in which they take is to take control so you have Bonin, who was abused, and now we're seeing the flip side. Now he's becoming the abuser. And I think this is all just a coping mechanism, as fucked up as that is. I think it's all just kind of him trying to exert that control that he wasn't able to take whenever... He was going through it. Yeah. And so he would lure them by claiming he had alcohol or X-rated movies to his home mm-hmm. and then abused them there. So all the neighborhood kids. And as he became a teenager, things only got worse for him. So all these feelings just got more amplified. He started committing other petty crimes and burglaries and occasionally grand theft. And then being in and out of trouble all the time, it was really hard for him to create re- relationships and mainly kept to himself. But on one occasion, he tried to pursue a girl but was rejected, and that was real hard for him. Like, a homeboy literally spent all of that time that he could have been creating those like the stupid middle school relationships that we all get in. Teach us something, you know, about being in a relationship in general. And even if you weren't dating anyone in, in middle school, like having a crush on someone and just that that interaction and that social that social aspect of creating relationships, even if they're just friendships. I feel like it's so vital <laughs> to children in their development. And I feel like he got gypped of that because one, he was in the orphanage, which I'm sure was not a good time for anyone involved, and then got to go home and then straight into juvenile detention. So it's like he didn't really get a, a normalcy, really. He yeah. was just kind of constantly in a, in a bad pot. And he already wasn't very confident, surprise, surprise, as a kid. And he had, like, crooked teeth, and he was he was just super self-conscious of that, which I totally understand, you know what I'm saying? Um, and he had homosexual feelings, which, again, we're talking about, like, the 60s and 70s. Like, it, wasn't it was as... really, really frowned down upon. People were not accepting of it, especially during this time. And his mother heavily disapproved of his sexual tendencies which i'm sure created a lot of dissonance inside of him because on one hand his mom came to save him but also and so like you know they now have some sort of a connection and he's his mom and he's his mom she's his mom and all that kind of stuff but like at the same time he's combating who he really is which i'm sure is hard 
1961, during this time, if we're just looking at history just in general, this is whenever like the whole AIDS epidemic was going on. Tensions were really, really high, especially for the LGBTQ community. They're like, this is whenever like the whole bathhouse taboo is becoming a thing. Like people are thinking like, oh, you, you're gay. You can't touch me. Like I'm, I'm going to be gay or I'm going to have AIDS now. And then also at the same time, medically, we're fighting AIDS. All ends of the spectrum in all facets in every single different direction. There was a lot of tension on top of his mother on top of him combating whether or not he was homosexual at such a young age, because he's very young whenever he's realizing this for himself. There's just a lot going on in the world. <laughs> There's a lot going on in the world. He had a lot going on in his childhood. And I, again, I kind of feel bad for him. But then we learn about all the stuff that he does. And I'm like, okay, do I feel bad for him? I don't know. But all in all, he ends up graduating from North High School, and due to his mother's request, he proposes to his girlfriend, and then he enlists in the United States Air Force, which mommy basically forced him into that engagement because she thought if he marries a woman, he will no longer be homosexual anymore. Like, he'll realize what it's really like and... Maybe that'll convert him. Well, enlisted in the Air Force, he gets deployed to Vietnam, where he served five months and clocked over 700 hours of combat and patrol time as an aerial gunner. So homeboy was pretty important in the military. As we fellow Americans know, this war messed up a lot of people. Mentally, a lot of people came back with PTSD. This was just a very brutal war. And Bonin was not spared of that. While overseas, he claimed to have sexual assault with two soldiers at gunpoint and engaged in various sexual acts with males and females. So he's broadening his spectrum. <laughs> and this is where he also develops the belief that human life is overvalued. Like he loses all, all of that kind of like moral compass that he kind of had, which I feel like already small yeah and it, it breaks my heart that unfortunately he had to like go through that and come to that realization and that he even came up with a thought like that but at the same time he risked his life to save a fellow airman while under fire so he kind of contradicts himself in that aspect i don't have respect for human life but like i'm gonna I'm save, gonna save your life so maybe it was a moment of weakness for himself maybe he didn't truly mean to risk his life for it, but it ended up being being that way, whatever. But three years in the Air Force, he's honorably discharged in October of 1968 when he officially marries his fiance and has a son. So he comes home, gets married, has a son. That's life. And as you would probably guess, <laughs> surprise, surprise, they end up getting a divorce very quickly after that. Not really a surprise. On November 17th, 1968, he commits his first crime that would then begin to snowball into all of the horrific events and, and traumatic crimes that he commits. It was on this day he bound and raped both anally and orally, then engaged in torture, such as bludgeoning and squeezing the victim's testicles. So this was the first day he started doing this back in the U.S. Yeah. 
he did this to four boys in between the ages of 12 and 18 over the next four months. So he's getting his practice in, basically. He's figuring out what his what his methodology is going to be, because we all know where this is headed, right? What? 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 <laughs> that sounds so bad. This is bad, Emily. <laughs> no, I'm saying, oh, he's getting his practice in? He's trying to Man, figure out what Jesus, he's going to do. Morgan. You know what I'm saying? I'm just... I'm speaking the truth. I'm speaking the truth and nothing but the truth. Okay, maybe that wasn't like the best way to word it. I agree yeah. with you, Emily, but I was like, because that sounds like it's <laughs> Emily like a, was triggered. <laughs> that sounds like it's like a like a like hobby. A yeah. Well, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> I don't want any part of it. Definitely not something you practice. Then in early like 1969 ish, he was arrested in the attempt of restraining a 16-year-old, and indicted on five counts of kidnapping. Indicted. Oh, my God. Indicted? Is that what I just said? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm having Sorry. A, I'm having a Freudian slip. It's okay. Indicted? Yeah. On five counts of kidnapping, four counts of sodomy. Rape. Rape. Let's just call it as it is. Rape. One count of oral copulation. Oral, oral rape. rape. <laughs> and the count of and and one count of child molestation that makes i hate that throughout this case while we were researching it, i just want to say this because it makes me so angry mm -hmm. a lot of times they will talk about it being sodomy or oral copulation and they'll be like oh it's forced it's rape just call it's it rape. rape but i think they're trying to be specific and because yes rape in general is bad but i think they're trying to be very specific in medical terms or in lawful terms, what exactly is happening here? It's rape. But he pled guilty to only, only the forced oral rape and molestation, but wasn't sentenced until January of 1971 when he was diagnosed as a mentally disordered sexual offender. Pedophile. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it in layman's terms. Pedophile. So let's talk psychology just for a split second. Apparently, pedophilia is a is a sexual preference where I have a problem with that. I feel like there should be a line drawn in between a sexual preference and especially pedophilia, because now you are impending on the rights of someone or someone's who doesn't have the mental capacity to truly consent to what they're consenting to. And, and this is just taking rape out of the picture, which rape is always in the picture when we're talking about pedophilia, by the way. That's what makes me so upset truly about this case is that they they give him that diagnosis, which I feel like if they had just pulled the cord right then and there, we wouldn't have seen all the terrible things that he was about to do. He gets diagnosed with the mentally disordered sexual offender diagnosis and is admitted to, you, you got to say it for me, at a Cascadero Ooh. State Hospital. She's so good with the words. I love it. I got you. Because they thought that they could change how he would respond with treatment. So they were like, oh, if we just, you know, use this kind of therapy then he will no longer be a pedophile we'll fix him like it, it can be it's just a sexual preference we can we can change him they also thought that you could also change your sexual orientation through mental 
the health too, but we won't get into that either because obviously that didn't work. So while in this mental hospital and undergoing examinations, he was found to have an average IQ of 121, which is really, really smart. Yeah. Like homeboy was borderline genius, if not a genius. Okay. So he he wasn't, he wasn't lacking in that department. He was intelligent. He displayed traits of manic depression, which not surprised, not surprised with his childhood and all the other stuff that he probably hasn't worked through yet. And some severe damage to the free, the prefrontal cortex, which we all know the prefrontal cortex is in, in charge of what? Decision making. And that's why they don't let you drink before the age of 21. But this part of the brain, your little frontal lobe, a.k.a. your forehead, is in charge of helping you make impulsive decisions and helping you control control those impulsive decisions. So with this damage that he has to it and we and we literally just talked about this <laughs> a couple of weeks ago too yeah. with this damage he now had an even harder time even at his age that he was at now which he was how old at this at this point in time he's like well into his like 20s yeah like late 20s not mid late to, 20s mid, he's mid 20s so at this point this sh- this part of his brain should be pretty much in well working order in making these impulsive decisions and helping him control these impulsive decisions. And this is, this becomes the root of the problem. They're like, okay, maybe you can't be fixed with just treatment and therapy. Unfortunately, more specifically, the problem was the violentness of his impulsive decisions. The, the squeezing of the boy's testicles. They also found a whole bunch of different scars all over his body, specifically his butt and head. But he denied fact that anyone had abused him, which we know that he was abused in childhood. But we don't know specifically if that was from what that was. But there are also some other theories in which we can touch on. And self-harm is a thing since he he did have that manic depression. And self-harm is a coping mechanism that is often used with people who are feeling trapped in their own skin. People use self-harm as a thing to dominate control over themselves because they have no control in their lives. So it would make a lot of sense for him to be practicing any type of self-harm because he had no control in his life at the time because everyone was controlling him. So that was the only sense of control that he could have until he placed it on other people. So that was a way for him to kind of like make do while he was waiting for his next fix. And gain control back over his body because Mm -hmm. other people continuously took control over his body. Even though he took control of other people's bodies, we won't. But that was a way for him to take control of his Mm -hmm. body when everyone else was and Mm -hmm. he didn't have any control. But that's just a thought. That yeah. we have. There's no backing There's at no all. backing to it. And again, he also never really talked about why he had those scars. Kind of just denied that anyone ever abused him, which we know he was abused, but we don't know where the scars came from. And he stayed at this mental institution for about two years, but no treatment was working. They were trying their best. Nothing was working. He repeatedly was raping other male inmates and ended up and ended up being sent to prison but was released a year later on june 11th 1974 because they deemed him no longer a menace to society and that he would be to no danger to anyone or himself he proved them wrong very quickly 
On September 8th, 1974, he picked up 14-year-old hitchhiker David Allen McVicker while in the van, which was to- uh, totally your stereotypical rape van, by the way. It's the same It's a 40 line. Yeah, it's the same van that William Devin Howell, if you remember us talking about that. Same van. Same van. Um, and I'm pretty sure you said Robert Fisher probably had the same van, too, which... Surprise, surprise. Um, Bonin asked McVicker if he was gay and uncomfortable. And of course, McVicker was like uncomfortable. Like, um, why would you ask me that? Kind of personal. <laughs> like, um, I'm I'm a child. And he immediately obviously asked to be let out of the car. He's like, OK, um, I want to go now. And. This is whenever Bonin pulls out a gum on a gum on him. Gum on. This is whenever Bonin pulls a gun on McVicker and drives to a secluded field, then ordered McVicker to undress and proceeded to rape him. So was he triggered by the fact that he was a homosexual or was he triggered by the fact that he was uncomfortable by the uncomfortable by the homosexual question? No one knows. Bonin's plan was then to strangle him to death with his own t-shirt, but got incredibly apologetic when McVicker wouldn't stop screaming, and he ends up taking the boy home and promising they would meet again. Bonin would specifically strangle boys by using their own shirt, too, which... Awful. Salt to the wound. Like, (laughs) Like, I just am gonna try to kill you. You couldn't bring your own tools? And, well, he does bring his own tools because he wraps their shirt around their neck and then sticks a tire iron through the holes and then twists the tire iron so that it gradually gets tighter and tighter and eventually suffocates them. And then I, I just, they just die. That's it. But I guess McVicker wouldn't stop screaming as he was tightening it. And that's why he was like, okay, I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to do this. And then takes the boy home. And then after hours of crying, McVicker finally was able to contact the child abuse hotline and his mother, who informed the police of the situation. And then only a few days later, Bonin attempted to abduct a 15-year-old boy and offered him $35 for sex. But after the boy refused, he tried to, like, hit the guy, well, the boy. Mm -hmm. But he ended up getting away, and Bonin was charged again for forced oral copulation Oral rape of a minor, uh, rape, just rape. rape, and attempted abduction. Like, a few days after, he just does this to the other kid. Mm-hmm. I feel like he lost his confidence with confidence with McVicker, and that's why he stopped. I feel like he was already not a confident guy to begin with, and I feel like whenever McVicker, it didn't go to what he pictured it and, and planned it yeah. as... He panicked and had to, like, think on his toes and, like, hope that apologizing to a 14-year-old kid would work. After he gets charged for all of these crimes, he pleads guilty on December 31st of 1975 and was sentenced to prison for 1 to 15 years and then was released on October 11th, 1978. So, a few years later... And then had 18 months of supervised probation starting from October 11th, 1978. Mm -hmm. Upon his release, he moved into his own apartment, 
because before this, he was just living with his mom still. And he kind of built a rapport with the teenage boys in his neighborhood. He was kind of like the cool guy because he would buy them alcohol and he would let them use his apartment as like the chill hangout spot for like parties and stuff. Like, yeah. oh yeah, you can come party, like host a party at my apartment and like, I'll let you guys drink alcohol and do whatever. Right. Like he would just kind of let them do whatever they want. And he also at this time starts dating a younger woman where they enjoy roller skating on the weekends, oh, which nice. is like a how thing. wholesome, right? And well, it's the seventies, Emily. I know. <laughs> For the first time, he's creating relationships and friendships with people, and he's kind of starting to fit in because he never did when he was a kid. And he has this like forty-three-year-old neighbor, Everett Fraser, and that guy kind of becomes a friend to him, and they consistently go to like parties together mm -hmm. and that friend throws a lot of parties and at one of these parties bonin meets two guys by the name of vernon butts and gregory mile butts was 21 years old and worked in a porcelain factory but was also a part-time magician with a fascination of cults which Y'all know me. I love the magic. <laughs> I was about to say, Emily, are you a part-time musician? I feel like you are. I love magic. And uh, Miley is... They kind of tore him apart, honestly. So I'm saying it in the nicest terms I can. Uh, Miley is described as someone who is not incredibly smart, as his IQ was 56, and he couldn't really ever hold down steady jobs and just worked odd jobs whenever he could. Mm -hmm. And... At this party, Butts sees Bonin and is incredibly interested by his personality and who he was as a person and wanted to get closer to him, stating that he was both fascinated and terrified of him. And terrified is probably the best way to describe how you and I feel. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was like, um, Butts, I also agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, not fast. I mean, yeah, kind of fascinated in the way. But uh, definitely terrified of him mm -hmm. because what Butts didn't know was at this point, Bonin had completely transformed his 40 Conaline into a van of horrors and was just cooking up some horrific, awful ideas. Mm -hmm. So in this olive green 40 Conaline, he had completely removed all of the inner handles from the vehicle except on the driver's side. He had handcuffs and wires, cords, stowed ligatures in various places, knives, household tools, and other items that he would see fit for torture. And I can't believe he removed all the handles. That would be such a red flag if I hopped into someone's van and... I didn't see a handle on the inside? Yeah, I would immediately be like, nope. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, I wouldn't even like go anywhere near the van. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> honestly, it's an olive green 40 Conaline, like just don't. No, nope. And he did this specifically to minimize the risk of someone escaping from his plans of rape, torture and murder. And he just was kind of renovating this van for bigger and better plans. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, he was just hanging out with butts and making friends and Going to parties, getting drunk, doing whatever. And they start to get closer and closer together. And Butts even goes on to say that Bonin has this weird sort of hypnotic effect on him 
that caused him to not really do anything other than what he said. Mm-hmm. So Bonin kind of had this like dominatrix almost I see power that. over mm-hmm. him to where he almost was powerless because of how fascinated and terrified he was in this hypnotic state. Well, like Bonin at this point in, in, in Butt's eyes is like the cool older guy that's finally giving him attention and finally giving him the time of day. So it's like, how cool was it whenever, like, in high school? I mean, you kind of have an older brother, so, like, I guess it doesn't really apply to you. <laughs> but, like, but, like, for me, like, having friends who were maybe, like, I was maybe a freshman or sophomore and my friends were seniors. Like, I really, really looked up to them. So I feel like it's that kind of, like, camaraderie yeah. type of thing. Like, this person, like, finally sees me for who I am. And I feel like at 21 years old, everyone's fighting for that. So I can see why he would be lured in by Bonin's just aura, you know? And then on one night, Butts finally has plans with Bonin to go out. And he gets in his van with the promise of going to the movies. But uh, what happens next was not something he could have ever planned. And... You're just going to have to wait to find out till next week. <sighs> Segway queen. Segway queen. That's what I'm here for. So the next episode uh, for next week, we'll be wrapping up, um, picking up where we left off here today. So if you want to listen to that, please <laughs> tune in next week because it will be there. Um Please check out our Patreon. We just posted our very first 30 minute pillow talk, which was like super fun to record, by the way. I very much I very much enjoyed that. It was super a fun. pleasure to make. We were supposed to only talk for 30 minutes and we ended up talking a lot longer <laughs> and our topic was really fun. But then we somehow ended in a completely different topic. Well, that's us. So if you want to know uh, what the topics were, you can go ahead and subscribe to our Patreon um it should be up and running by now if it's not by now it will for sure be up by the first Mm -hmm. um and we can't wait to uh we also have our other full-length episode for our patreon our ten dollar tier yeah yes we have two tiers a five dollar and a ten dollar so check out our 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 patreon we'll be very excited to see you guys over there hope you guys really enjoy your content that we post on there and if anyone ever asks you to hop in the van and you notice that there are no handles on the inside of the doors, um, don't get into there. Run. <laughs> Run. And also, don't sleep, sleep alone. alone.